0: So you know that episode that I did about how to counsel men? I think it was like 10 or 7 tips on how to counsel men. I received a lot of emails about... Actually, I received a lot of emails also for the publication I submitted. So let's back up here. I I think someone asked me on the podcast about how to counsel men, and I decided to... Look into the research and contemplate it. And I did a podcast about it. And then I thought, hey, you know, I could probably write a piece on this. And so I wrote a piece on it and then it submitted it to Family Therapy Magazine, which is the main Family Therapy magazine. <laughs> and they published it called Seven Tips on How to Cancel Men. And I think in some ways I live in a bit of a cultural or privileged pocket of some sort in that. I don't really understand what's happening out there in counseling education, and let me let me explain. So I have received emails not only for the podcast I did about it, but also the piece that was published in Family Therapy Magazine. People that don't even listen to the podcast are emailing me and saying uh, various different things. All men, by the way. <laughs> so it's a bunch of dudes emailing me. And some, some of the guys are saying, uh, you know, I, I'm a therapist in training, I'm a counselor in training, and as a, as a man in a program that is dominated by women, by the way, most therapists, most counselors are women, and a lot of the educators are women as well. And so for men, they're in the minority. Now, we all know that sexism is real, and misogyny is real, and male privilege is real, And when men are made to feel the minority or are made to feel at a disadvantage, then to some extent, that's justice. That's just balancing the scales. And for some men, they have a really hard time coping with this because it feels very unnatural to them. They're very much used to the privilege. And when they don't have it, it's quite upsetting to them. And women are, uh, when they hear that, they think, well, you know, Crimea River, pal. It's the way I feel all the time. So there's that, and like I said, sexism is real. It's empirical science. Sexism exists, um, and for those of you who listen to my podcast who don't understand this, and there are some of you, if if you can believe that, I just have to say that the most people on the internet that have a problem with feminism. They actually don't have a problem with feminism. They have a problem with what they think feminism is. They they have a problem with I'm going down a little bit of a a, a tangent here because <laughs> I just want to say this is that I've ex- when you just type in feminism on YouTube or the internet or something, the vast majority of the stuff that is on there is terrible. It's just awful. I haven't actually done that, but my impression of of feminism on the internet is is really just a terrible terrible thing. It's it's basically On the Internet, there's a lot of men, boys, who are yelling at feminists and calling them manginas or terrible people or, you know, feminazis or something. And then on the other side, you have another group of people who are vocal feminists who are perhaps not so great at communicating to these people who are anti-feminists. And what I have to say is that is not feminism. I mean, it's a part of the feminist movement, I suppose, but in my world, feminism is a hopeful word. It's a pleasant word. It's a word that we enjoy and doesn't have 99% of anger with it. It's, it's just the acknowledgement and the advocacy and the commitment to equality and to justice for gender. And the way that I conceptualize feminism is it actually includes justice for men. It's justice for gender. It's not justice for women. It's justice for everyone, trans people, queer people. It's, it's for everybody. It just so happens to be called feminism because the field of feminism, when it emerged, when the field of equality and justice regarding gender emerged, it was primarily focused on women. And it, was called feminism. And in our culture, it is uh, a large trend in cultures around the world that women are oppressed and that women qualities, female qualities are considered lesser than male qualities. And so, although the word feminism perhaps isn't the best word, it maybe equality is a better word. Uh, maybe some men would have a easier time accepting the the movement if it were called something different. But in my world, when I hear feminism, I don't hear, I don't hear pro women, anti men. I just think of equality and, and justice around, uh, around uh, gender, but you know, whatever. So my, my point here is to say before going down this road of talking about some of these emails and calls I've been receiving from listeners, I just want to establish up front <laughs> that uh, feminism is a good thing. And that sexism is real. And that male privilege is, is real. Okay, so I've been getting these, these emails from people, uh, one guy emailed me, can't remember from where, and he was saying that he asked me, so he's a student in a program in a, some other program in another state. And he emails me and he says, So I read your, your piece in Family Therapy magazine about how to counsel men. And I really, really enjoyed it, and I, can I ask you a question? Are you experiencing any backlash on this? Are, are people uh, yelling at you for for doing this? And I, I asked him, I said, well, what do you mean? Why, why would anybody be yelling at me about this? And he says, well, in my experience, when men in our field, in the field of therapy, try to talk about men's issues and men's suffering and this sort of thing. We get a lot of negative reactions from women around us in in the field. And I have to say that doesn't surprise me. I mean, put it if it's put that way, of course, that's ridiculous. No woman is going to say, how dare you stick up for men? <laughs> you know, it's like that's not really the way it goes down. But but there's a kind of a uh, and I've experienced this, too. And when you're a man, you really notice it. Uh, w- if you're a woman, my, my guess is you don't notice it as much, although I have talked to, with women who have said that they, they notice it, too, and it, it bothers them just as much as it would bother a man. But sometimes in the female-dominated field of therapy and in, and in training programs, you can be in a class where there's 20 students and only one of the students is male or none of the students are male, frankly. I, I've taught classes where there wasn't a single male in the class. It was all, all women. And and that's fine, but when you have one cultural group that is only being represented, there are interesting things that occur, and, some, and there's pros and cons to it, right? If you have all women in one room, perhaps they feel safer to talk about certain things. But at the same time, any Any cultural group you get in the same room there's there's a bit of an echo chamber experience and and a tendency to forget about other people's feelings and so something that happens in the training programs sometimes is a very natural and healthy thing happens, which is women will be in a you know they'll be talking about gender oppression and they'll feel empowered and that's a healthy thing, to talk about their experience. And part of the wisdom development around gender involves anger and involves expressing your feelings and involves just speaking your mind and not necessarily filtering it diplomatically. Well, if you're in a room of 20 women all expressing their feelings some uh, people are at one point of their you know path and another person at another point of the path and and you're a man in the middle, in the midst of this conversation and you're trying to be supportive it can at times be hurtful to the male because it can feel excluding and, and it could also, uh, some of the statements can be directed towards men as, as a whole, you know, just let me see if I can think of a an example just so I can color. It's, it's like, so you got, you're talking, you're in a, you're in a gender class or a multicultural class or some kind of diversity course. And you're discussing gender oppression and, and women are saying, yeah, you know, uh, misogyny is real and and let me tell you about the stories that I've been through and all the men in my life have been mansplainers and manspreaders and 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 they've been oppressive and they never listened to me and they've been patriarchal and it's um, you know I'm very upset about it and and you know so this is all just, you know, healthy expression and probably accurate. And, and, but they might tag on at the end, something like, you know, men need to know their place. They need to know when to shut up and they, they need to know when they need to stop explaining things to me. Well, if you're a man sitting next to this woman, as she's saying this, that statement is directed at men as a whole. And since you're a man sitting next to this person, it can feel as though you're being personally attacked, and this is all part of education it's all part of training and at Antioch, we encourage these kinds of conversations and you need to be able to handle them and you need to be able to care about other people in the process and you need to be able to take it in the process and but for for a lot of men, they will come to me and since I wrote this article and did this um This podcast in the past, a lot of men are starting to come forward to me and say, I, as a therapist, am frequently uh, feeling as though I can't even talk about men's issues and I can't even alert people to the fact that men are suffering too. And that uh, when we talk about gender, we are frequently talking about women. But when we talk about gender, why aren't we talking about men too? And why aren't we talking about this, the specific struggle struggles of men in our society? Because in, in, in the article, I, I talk about that, even though men suffer from, you know, the same amount of mental and emotional problems as women do, because there's this notion in our society that men don't suffer as much as women do, but, Men suffer just as much as women do. It's, of course, logical that they'd be suffering just as much. And in some ways, they they suffer more. I mean, let's let's say that it balances out because women are oppressed more. So obviously, they have more emotional impact from that oppression. But men are oppressed, too, in a way in that they're socialized not to feel their feelings or to be vulnerable or to ask for help or to seek support. And so they suffer, too, because they're not allowed to even seek support in general. And so even though men suffer from the same amount of problems that women do, men are much less likely to seek help from therapists. And often what, we'll, what I'll hear is people say, "Well, you know, men, they don't like to ask for help." But that's blaming the victim. That's blaming uh, other people. What we as a, as a field, as a, you know the field of psychotherapy, we should be blaming ourselves. We should be looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, why is it that men in our society don't want to come to us? Now, of course, culture is a part of that, but what are we doing to reach out to men? What are we doing to help them? When they come into our offices and they only go come for two sessions and then leave because they didn't like talking to us, we should look at ourselves and say, well, "What did I? where did I go wrong? And it's been argued, and I could argue as well, that therapy is very much a female-oriented activity, meaning that you sit down right across from each other, face-to-face, there's a box of tissues and you talk about your feelings. Now, I'm describing every single session that I've ever done as a male therapist, so and I enjoy it, So, but I'm a particular kind of man, right? There's a lot of different kinds of men, and, and if you're socialized traditionally masculine, you are not interested in sitting down with a box of tissues face-to-face with someone on a cushy couch and talking about your feelings. That is not something that you were socialized to do. You were socialized to do the opposite of that. And so what are we doing as a field to accommodate this cultural issue? If we had, say, a cultural immigrant group coming to the United States that, uh, you know, we discovered that this cultural group, it was against their religion, to sit down and talk about their feelings, you know, of course, there's no culture like that, I don't think, but imagine that we did, we would say, Oh, well, we're responsible for accommodating for that, we have to be culturally responsive. Why aren't we being culturally responsive to men? And so I'm making this, this argument on, you know, in this article, to some extent, and, and so men are coming out of the woodwork, (laughs) and emailing me and saying, so are you getting any backlash on this? Are people attacking you? And what I have to say is no, no one's attacking me. And maybe they are on the inside, but I don't think so. When I bring this topic up to people, women included, because most of the people in my field are women, they, re- they really take to it. They're like, oh, yeah, this is interesting. Thanks for, you know, because a lot of my clients are men and I could benefit from some tips on how to counsel men and how to use masculinity. Because that's the other thing I talk about in the article. Uh, tip number seven is remember that there are positive aspects to masculinity, that the idea that we should get rid of masculinity is not necessarily wise. Now, if you listen to this podcast, you know that in my utopia, utopic world, utopian world, that gender would be uh, uh, much different in that we s- didn't socialize kids to be anything, and we allowed them to be whatever they wanted to be, re- you know, regardless of gender. So in, in my opinion, the whole femininity, masculinity thing is really quite silly. It's just a social construct. It's a game we play. But having said that, we're not going to change society anytime soon. So in the meantime, if someone, if one of your clients has been, uh, you know, socialized to be traditionally macho and masculine and all those kinds of things, you can utilize those things in therapy to help them. You know, for instance, the, the example I give in the article is, I'll just read it. Uh, For example, I have told my male clients that it takes a lot of courage to cry in front of me, and I respect that deeply. So because I believe that some of my clients, some 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 of my male clients could benefit by expressing vulnerable emotions like crying and sadness, I will utilize positive masculinity, meaning that I will say, you are courageous, sir for crying in front of me that is a manly courageous thing to do to be able to cry in front of me right now i respect that so i'm using courage respect these are traditional masculine uh, things that they want to be they want to be courageous they want to be respected and so you can you can use that now it's not a manipulation it's just living in their world and knowing what touches them, what impacts them, you know, to, to, if it take taking in a traditional feminine route, someone starts crying and, and, and you don't say anything, you don't comment on it. You just, you just look compassionately at that person. Well, you know, that might be missing an opportunity to uh, connect with a male client in a way that, Again, touches on his traditional masculinity. I don't know if that's a great example, but anyway, a student in uh, actually the sister program. I I don't know if I I don't know if I refer, but the program that is um, adjacent to my program. The, the counselors. I'm the marriage and family. Th- I'm in, I'm chair of the Mar- marriage and family. Th- Have I introduced myself? I'm, I'm Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm chair of the couple and family therapy program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also la- licensed marriage and family therapist. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. There's a program that is overlapped with my program, and it's the clinical mental health counseling program. And a student in that program actually contacted me, and he wants to uh, design a whole independent study class around men's issues and counseling men and, and masculinity and the suffering that men go through because of masculine socialization. And he said that my podcast inspired him to some extent to, to do that. And he asked me to review his syllabus for his independent study. And, and it was quite rigorous, uh, I could tell he really, he must be a very rigorous student because he was, you know, you design your own class and his, the class he designed was probably twice the amount of work that you would do in a regular, <laughs> regular class. But um, it, it seems like a fantastic course. He's he's going to watch that documentary that I think I've talked about on the podcast, the mask we live in. He's going to read a bunch of books. He's going to do some research. He's going to write some papers. And I, said the syllabus looks great, but i I recommend you add one part, and that is is that you make an assignment at the end to come on my podcast and talk about everything that you did in the course and so in a few months, he'll be on the podcast talking about all that and that, and I'm excited about it and so if you're uh, out there and you're a therapist, male or female or queer or whatever is uh, to remember. That gender is complex and that just because men are the privileged and just because men often are unaware of their privilege and just because men often are patriarchal and uh, utilize their privilege in harmful ways, just because all that is absolutely true, that doesn't mean that men don't suffer and don't deserve our compassion and, and don't deserve our Uh, efforts to try to understand them and accommodate for them. I just want to say that again, just because men are privileged and utilize that privilege to harm others does not mean they don't deserve our care and compassion and efforts to understand their experience. That's a, that's a very important thing to understand. I think, because I think there's this, this sort of revenge mentality sometimes by, and this goes across all sorts of political lines. It goes against Republicans, maybe. Probably goes against Christians sometimes or against rich people. It's this notion of how dare you be privileged? How dare you use that privilege? And I don't have any compassion for you unless you somehow demote yourself or something. I'm not really wording this right, but and i'm accusing a lot of people of a lot of things i realize that but but it's something that i've i've been guilty of myself i mean i as a person in america i can say that you can't be an american without having some kind of i don't know some kind of ugly mirth towards some group of people occasionally listeners will call me out on stuff they'll be like one part of the podcast, you were advocating for compassion, and then later on, you made this joke about these people, and that seems pretty mean, and, and I have to admit, it's like, oh my God, yeah, you're right. And we're all like that. We all do that, and, and we all are responsible for trying to stop that and being aware of it, but to expect perfection is ridiculous, and we're just, you know, we're a product of our culture, the, the thing I, I read once, I think, or I wrote I can't remember if I wrote it or read it, but I'm pretty sure I read it. I, I always think about this one phrase that sticks out, and it's if you're born and raised in a racist culture, and if your field exists, you know, the, if the field of psychotherapy exists in a racist, sexist culture, then of course there are going to be racist and sexist elements in that field or in you. It it just I don't know if that is profound to you as a listener, but it's very profound to me. It's you know if if the field of psychotherapy emerged in a racist, sexist, ableist, ageist culture then of course the field of psychotherapy is going to have racist, sexist, ableist, heterosexist notions in it. It's just it's just a matter of, of, of inevitability. You can't avoid that. When things emerge out of a culture, it's going to possess the things of that culture. And so there you go. And... Because I think sometimes we think, well, psychotherapy is supposed to be perfect. The field of psychology is supposed to be so self-aware and it's supposed to be so self-reflective and devoid of any kind of racism or sexism or heterosexism or something. And that's just ridiculous. Of course, that's not true. When we look back at the things that were written in psychology and family therapy and counseling 50 years ago, we see evidence of sexism and of colonialism and patriarchy and the you know not inability to acknowledge power that was real and existing and in 50 years from now they're going to look back at us now and they're going to say similar things they're going to be like oh well they didn't know this or that yet and s- listen to the way they're talking about this and that they they clearly didn't know what we know now. Their paradigm had not shifted yet. That was pre-blank movement, you know. In the next 50 years, there's 100 years, 200 years, there's going to be other movements that will further us towards justice. As Martin Luther King said, and I think he was quoting someone else when he said that the, the what is it, the path of justice is long, but it, Wait, the path of society is long, but it bends towards justice? <laughs> God. Anyway, the point is, is it's a hopeful vision, a hopeful, optimistic vision that our society is ever slowly moving towards justice, toward, towards social justice, and toward fairness for people. And certainly looked at in a you know, certain way, our society has, has done just that. But anyway, I just want to again say as a caveat to this whole thing is uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know this about me, that I'm a staunch feminist, that I strive for awareness regarding sexism, regarding male privilege, misogyny. I, as I have studied it and contemplated and listened to other people and really thought about this, I have seen the light over and over again about the fact that there, are, uh, There's a massive amount of sexism in our culture, and I exhibit sexism myself and misogyny and privilege myself and really try not to. But I can't be perfect, but I know that I do, and I know that those thoughts are running through my head all the time. The example I like to think about a lot is if I'm in a meeting at work and there's men and women in the meeting and a woman is saying something in the meeting, do I, how, how much do I respect that person in terms of what they're saying as, as opposed to when a man starts to talk is when a man talks, am I more likely to kind of really pay attention and not interrupt them or really sort of bow to them, so to speak, as opposed to a woman. When, when a woman talks and brings up a point, how likely am I to sort of back them up and say, or to say something uh, subservient to them, like, like complimentary, like, oh, I really like what you're saying there, you know, or, I don't know, there's, there's a, a lot of gender that is expressed in these meetings. And I can feel it. I try to accommodate for it. And I have kind of like these little systems in place, like just make sure you listen to everybody and and make sure you don't act in sexist ways, <laughs> you know, this kind of stuff. And I've learned over the years. And as chair of my program now, I lead meetings of faculty and students, and I have to really keep an eye on that. And that's just one small fraction of the experiences that I have in a given week. I have experiences regarding gender in all sorts of contexts, not just that one. And so that one just seems rather obvious to me, but my experience of gender is happening all the time and opportunities for sexism to harm other people. And I like to use the word harm and fairness because I feel like those two words are not used enough People will throw around race, oh you're a racist, oh you're oh that was sexist what you did, or that was racist what you said. And really it comes down to fairness and harm. Really what people, in my opinion, should be saying is what you just did was harmful in a sexist way, or what you just did right there was harmful to Native Americans because blah 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 blah. blah. Or what you just said right there was unfair, or what you did was unfair. Or our society is treating these this group of people unfairly. It's unfair to them. Because when you say our society, you know, our, our government is racist, I feel like that means nothing to anyone. They just, to the people we're trying to communicate to, they don't know what that means. And they're just like, that's ridiculous. But if you said our society is unfair to poor people, now we can start talking about, well, what's fair? People, everyone understands the notion of fairness Everyone understands the notion of harm. Very few people understand the notion of racism or sexism in academia in psychotherapy. We talk about it, we think about it, we contemplate it we We know those words fairly well. The general public, in my opinion, does not understand these words. I listen to you know various other podcasts and I hear the words like you know someone will say." something and they'll go, was that racist? What I said was that? And and they'll debate whether or not what they said was racist because they're looking for rules. You know, there's, there's a, there's a rule like, well, if you do this, then you're being racist. And if you're doing this, then you're not being racist. But if you just ask them, if they said, well, I don't know, was that racist? Was that, you just ask it, well, did you harm someone? Did, was it unfair to somebody Then then you're engaging in the real conversation. And maybe they don't know the answer to that. And you say, well, how can you find out? Well, maybe I have to ask someone of that group if it was unfair to them or it hurt them. Okay, well, that's a start. How do you want to ask that? Who do you want to ask? Now we're talking about fairness. Now we're talking about harm. And, you know, the, the Redskins, the Washington Redskins thing, I don't know that much about it, but I... Uh, Have throughout my life heard that it's a terrible thing. And I've heard Native Americans saying that they hate it. And I've heard uh, other people saying that it's not a big deal. And then this study comes out that like 90% of Native Americans think that it's red, the Redskins are fine, or something like this. And I've heard critiques of the study that say that they only studied a particular kind of Native American and not, you know, true Native Americans. Or I don't know. So I don't know the deal. But the real question to me is it's not necessarily if it's racist or not, or if it's wrong or not, it's are some people being harmed by this name. And if, if even if it is just 10 quote unquote, just 10%, if 10% of native Americans are being harmed by a silly thing, such as a mascot for a stupid football team, then in my moral compass it should be changed because if you changed it to say i don't know the eagles or the jets or the seahawks or something along those lines you are not going to find a single person on the planet that is going to be offended by that <laughs> and there's no rational non-delusional person who is offended by calling your team the jets or the you know the eagles no one cares about that. But you call your team the Redskins, and yeah, there's going to be some people that are going to be, their feelings are going to be hurt by that. And is that really what you want with your team logo, is to hurt people's feelings? But that's not the way people talk about it, in my experience. They use these terms like, you know, racism and sexism. How did I get down this rabbit hole? (laughs) I'm just ranting about this particular thing. Anyway, my... My point here is, if you listen to the podcast, you understand that I'm a feminist and that I understand cultural context. I don't understand it. I I understand that there there are things to understand. Let's just put it that way. Um, No one one understands it, quote unquote. But uh, uh, I just want to say that as a caveat to my discussion around wanting to help men and wanting to treat men fairly and to have compassion for men and and to help men with their masculinity and to understand that men are oppressed in a way, in the, or men are treated, see, there's that word again, oppressed, but men are treated unfairly by, uh, as boys, we pigeonhole them into this masculine stupidity, and it denies them their right to be able to express their feelings and ask for help and to be themselves. And so we are treating boys unfairly and we're harming them. And that's real. And we need to have compassion for that. And when we have compassion for that, I think we can treat men better. So that's my point. (laughs) Well, that does it for this episode of psychology in Seattle Thanks for joining me. And if you have thoughts about this, men or women, or queer, or fluid, or whatever, then let me know. You can email me at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. If you haven't already, please become a patron of the podcast. We are getting very close to our next goal of, I don't know, I think we need about... 450 people. I think we're at about 320 or something. So I think we only need about another 100 people to become patrons. And at that point, we'll be able to start paying the co hosts what they're worth. Uh, as I've said before, I'm already paying them uh, a little bit now anyway, because, well, that's just fair, right? <laughs> but if we reach that next goal, I'll be able to double. Their pay when you know we make this podcast it requires a lot of effort and time and you know travel and just all that kind of stuff and if you know people should be compensated for it I think if, if you if you like this podcast for the cost of a cup of coffee you can support the podcast that you love please do so by going to patreon.com that's patreon.com and become a patron of the podcast called Psychology in Seattle. Do it now. Become one of us and join the fold, people. If you enjoy it, put your money where your mouth is, (laughs) pal. All right, that does it for the episode. Thanks for joining me. Please take care of yourself because you definitely deserve it. You really do.